0: Welcome to Atari Bytes, the show where we take a bite out of the story within a classic Atari 2600 game and occasionally 7800 game and see if that story bites us back. My name is Bill. This is episode 171. Thanks for listening. Welcome back, everybody. I have absolutely nothing to say in this opening segment. Um, How are you doing? Yeah? Wow. Really? Really? How did you even get it in there? you can't just leave it there. Oh my God, I didn't need to hear all that. Ew. I'm kind of wishing now I had come up with my own little opening segment thing to talk about. Wow. Ew. All right, let's move on from that business. Gonna prove that the world is flat in his rocket ship or else he'll go splat he's mad Mike you Mad Mike Hughes. Over there at madmikehughes.com, they're still promoting the Flat Earth Exit the Matrix Expo in Las Vegas. That's coming up here pretty quick now. Uh, May 25th and 26th. As always, if any of you are going to this thing, please let me know. First to tell me why exactly, and then to tell me what happened. Um, they have new shirts coming. Mad Mike Hughes does. Let me look at this thing. It actually is kind of a cool-looking shirt. It says Mad Mike Hughes, and it's got a rocket launching. It's very colorful. What does that say? Enlarge the the picture a little bit. King of the Daredevils, they call him. I'm not sure about that, but it is a cool-looking shirt, I will admit. I'm not going to buy one, you understand, but um, it looks pretty good. Over there on Mad Mike Hughes, I feel like they've, uh, on Facebook, the Mad Mike Hughes Page. I feel like they've changed the uh, the little uh, photo there at the top of the page. It says the Chronicles of Mad My Hughes. One man, Noise TV. That I think that's all the same, but the the graphic looks a little different. I'm not sure. No new postings though, so that's maybe I'm wrong. Over there on the Rocketman Man page on Facebook, not to be confused with the Rocket Man Elton John biopic, which we all know is going to be infinitely better. Um, there was a fairly recent posting, April twenty fourth. If he pulls it off, Mad Mike will disprove centuries of science once and for all, or not. Special thanks to CBS for the clip, is what it says. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at thisisrocketman. And they got their own little rocket. So, they are, interestingly, they're taking the approach, these last couple of weeks, of poking fun at the Flat Earth Movement, while also simultaneously saying, if Mad Mad Mike pulls this off, he's going to disprove science. So, they're trying to have their cake and eat it too, I guess. They want the flat earther's money, but they want the rest of the world to know that, uh, yeah, I mean, they're not crazy. They, they get that there's actual science. So, we'll see. I have not heard any more about the apparent plan to launch a rocket from Antarctica. Maybe that was supposed to happen in May too. Oh. Here's something I didn't notice before. This article is from a couple weeks ago. Um few weeks ago, I guess. April 12, 2019, Kelly Well... while Kelly Weill posted an article on the thedailybeast.com headline, Logan Paul sued over flat-earth mockumentary by guy trying to launch himself into space on homemade rocket. YouTube megastar Logan Paul, whoever that is, is getting sued over his flat-earth mockumentary by Ma- Mike Mad Mike Hughes, who is trying to ride a homemade rocket into space to prove the Earth is flat. They described a little bit about Mad Mike... Mad Mike is claiming that this Logan Paul filmed him under false pretenses at some sort of conference. He apparently, uh, as a side note, has a suit underway against the Department of Justice. So now Mad Mike is suing this Logan Paul and one of his colleagues for half a million. Paul's mockumentary, much of it anyway, was filmed at 2019's Flat Earth International Conference in Denver, Colorado. At the conference, Paul delivered a brief speech claiming to come out of the Flat Earth Closet. Uh, And he did this movie interviewing real flat earthers, but by the end of the film, he reveals he he does not actually believe the conspiracy theory. The organizer at the Flat Earth International Conference thought Paul was open to the ideology when he allowed Paul into the gathering. Quote, I have a very good feeling he's genuine, close quote. Organizer Robbie Davidson told the hundreds of flat earthers gathered for Paul's speech. Apparently somebody else was not convinced, somebody else at the conference. Flat earther Mark Sargent apparently uh, walked out. Uh, He was supposed to be uh, in the lineup of speakers, too. Uh, but he, I guess he knew who this guy was. This guy, I guess, this Logan Paul, had done a documentary, mockumentary, whatever, previously, and so this Mark Sargent had an idea who, what was up. Apparently, uh, Logan Paul, in December night, 2017, made a video in which he filmed a suicide victim in a Japanese forest known for the deaths and got significant backlash for the stunt. Mad Mike, to get back to him, agreed to an interview with Logan Paul because he didn't know who the guy was, Quote, he parodied everybody, he used my image, and I never signed a release. I was never told what this thing was for. In fact, when he interviewed me, I didn't know who the guy was. I didn't find out until later it was Logan Paul, some YouTube guy, which still didn't mean nothing to me. After this movie comes out, you find out he staged half of it. He's also suing uh, Mike Majlik, uh, who's a colleague of Logan Paul's. Uh, Neither Majlik or Logan Paul responded to Daily Beast's request for, for comment. Says Mad Mike, I have a lot of court cases going on. I'm not one to screw with when I get pissed off. I know how to shut you down. Basically, I've claimed lar- I have claimed legal entities for I have claimed This isn't making sense. I have claimed legal entities for very famous people. They can't even exist, which are Barack Obama, Mark Zuckerberg, Elon Musk, Warren Edward Buffett. Whoever uses Warren Buffett's middle name. Anyway, I own the legal entities they're operating under. They know this. I haven't filed the claims yet. Well, actually, I did about Obama. We're back in court in uh, May 7. Um, He says he's well-known in court in San Bernardino, and he's not worried about his flat-earth theories being a a hindrance in court. People know who I am. They ask me how my back is doing when I go to court. All right. Well, we'll see what comes of that, I guess. If anyone knows about Logan Paul or what's up with him, uh, let me know. I could do the research myself, I guess, but I'm probably not going to. All right, let's, uh, let's move on. Gonna prove that the world is flat In his rocket ship Or else he'll go splat He's Mad Mike cues. Mad Mike Hughes Feedback for Grand Prix, episode 170. Preston Peterson, hi Preston, uh, he said simply on Facebook, I like it. Uh, well, more specifically, uh, he posted a, uh, a meme, a gif, gif, whatever, of the Dumb and Dumber guy, uh, Jim Terry, going, I like it a lot. no that he sounds like? That's more British, isn't it? Like bad British? I don't know. But that's what he posted. Uh, so I got the message. He likes the game. Uh, I do too, Preston. We agree. And how often is it that people on the internet agree about things? So we've just made the world a better place. Um, so thanks for that. Thanks for the feedback. I always look for feedback. I uh, look forward to feedback. So thanks for doing that. Whether it's good or bad. If you don't like something I do on the show, or a game I, I choose to talk about, let me know that too. So, I saw this article that kind of caught my attention, although I don't... I, I don't know the whole history of this. You guys probably know more, so I'm just going to mention it. And if you guys can fill in some of the blanks or explain to me what I should actually know about this, uh, please let me know. The article I'm looking at is from Arts Ars Technica, and the article is called Did a vigilante, Did a Vigilante-ROM leaker go too far to preserve a lost Atari ROM? First paragraph Earlier this month, the digital preservationists at the Dumping Union made an important announcement in the world of arcade emulation. The collection had gotten its hands on a ROM image of Aka R, an extremely rare Atari arcade prototype, and one of the most prominent remaining cabinets that had, to that point, never been available through emulation on MAME, the multiple arcade machine emulator. But that would have been notable news in the world of gaming history. The Dumping Union suggests as much by titling their forum announcement. Sit down in the toilet before we and unless or else you will S your pants. Uh, but the article goes on to talk about how it, this story started out as a rare game reveal, but may actually have been a credible heist tale, perpetrated by an alleged MAME vigilante, no less. I'm not going to read the whole article. The story of this game apparently dates back to 1982, when it was created by Dave Ralston and Mike Halley at Atari. They went on to work uh, on many well-remembered arcade games, uh, the title, Aka-R, is supposedly a mangled initialism okay, for also known as another Ralston Halley. After a small test market release in 82, its rotational take on missile command's trackball targeting was reportedly deemed too complicated for the masses at that time. So even though Aka-R was practically complete and had its own unique cabinet art and design, wide release was scrapped for in favor of more promising titles. The test market prototypes were rescued from the refuse of Atari's warehouse, and over the years uh, got into the hands of extremely private arcade cabinet collectors. Only three of these cabinets are believed to exist, and only two are registered in the Vintage Arcade Preservation Society's census of nearly 8,500 collectors. The ROM chips had, until recently, never been publicly dumped and catalogued in the MAME database, which is bad for preservationists, but good for the value, of course. Uh you know... We don't really do the arcade cabinets on this show, so I'm not going to go too deep into this. But basically, somebody found one uh, and, I guess, released it. But there are questions, I guess, about how they did that. So, go check out that article. It's kind of interesting. I don't I don't spend a lot of time digging into that kind of history. And like I said, we don't really talk about the, the cabinets here on the show. But I know that's interesting to a lot of people. Um, so... Take that story and and run with it, I guess. If anyone's played the ROM, of course, I would be curious to know what the game is like. All right, well, hey, what's that noise? Do you hear that? Yep, that's right. This week on the show, we're jumping into the future to play an Atari 7800 game, and it's our first 7800 homebrew game for the podcast. Pretty excited about that. I bought this game, um, which is called Time Salvo, a while ago because I kept hearing uh, other podcasters talking about how great this game is, and uh, I'll be honest here. I heard that it was inspired, at least in part, by H.G. Wells' The Time Machine, the 1960 movie version of which is one of my favorite movies. So I would be lying if I said that wasn't a big motivator for me to get this game. But even without that connection, uh, I'll I'll spoil my review here, it's a really good game. But uh, let's back up for a second. It's a a 7800 homebrew from 2016, designed, you, you guys probably mostly know this, uh, by Mark Sarna. Uh, coat, he did the coding and the design. Cover art and manual uh, were done by Corey Kramer, and they look really cool, too. One of my favorite things about this, just you know, the, the practical reality of, of how old the game is, the, the cartridge, it's all shiny, and the label's all clean and pristine, and there's none of that uh, crud stuff that gets on some of the, the labels after a while. It just, And the manual's in perfect shape, and it's not wrinkled at all. And I can't even decide... I've got obviously I've got the box and the manual and everything. I can't, but it's a homebrew. It's not a, quote unquote, traditional, original game. You know from the from the old days. So up until now, typically what I do, I put all the cartridges in. I have got these uh, like old, uh, pop bottle crates, you know the old wooden ones for Pepsi or Coke or whatever, and I line them up in alphabetical order in there. Even the ones that I have the boxes. I have a few games in box. If they're not sealed, the boxes aren't sealed, uh, I typically take the game out, the cartridge out, and I put it in my, my little uh, pop bottle crates. Uh, but I haven't with this one so far because, um, you know, it's, it's sort of in its own category. It's a homebrew. It is a 7800 game, obviously, but it's not, you know, it's not one of the traditional ones. So, uh, but I'm thinking today, no, I mean, I'm going to go ahead and put it in, in the box with the 7800 uh, titles. Uh, just like all the other ones. Yeah, I think that's what I'm going to do. So anyway, the manual tells us... Man, I don't even want to open this because it's uh, uh, it's so pristine. Uh, we get a little story. Thank you, uh, Mark Sar- Mike Sarna and uh, Corey Kramer. I don't know which one of you actually wrote the story, but uh, thank you for doing that. It says, When I traveled to the future, I was expecting to see flying machines and cities that reached far into the sky. Instead, I found ruins... Mankind had withered away and devolved into the Eloi, a feeble humanoid people. Their saving grace was that they were kind and welcoming, and truthfully I was glad for their company. When the first night of my visit fell, I became acquainted with humanity's other new children, the Morlocks. They are the feared shadows that stalk the night in this age. They prowl relentlessly until they can satisfy their taste for human flesh. Last night the Morlocks took away my Eloi companion, Weena, my poor sweet Weena, One moment, she'd been playfully sticking flowers into my pockets with her tiny hands. Clearly, this is not an era that Donald Trump lives in. His hands, as we all know, are huge. Anyway, that was not in the story. That was my editorial edition. So, one moment, she'd been playfully sticking flowers into my pockets with her tiny hands, and the next moment, claws were dragging her away into the eternal darkness. Morning had now dawned, has now dawned, and I swear I will destroy this filthy Morlock scourge, I will fix this horrible thing time has done to humanity. I will avenge my wiener, the time traveler. All right, and it's got some really excellent artwork at the bottom of the screen of all the various uh, enemies that you're going to face. You got uh, the Morlock. You got this thing that looks like the robot from Lost in Space, the original Lost in Space. You got a thing that might be, um, I don't know. He looks like a a bad guy from uh, the 1970s Super Friends show. You got an octopus thing. You got something that looks like Leela from Doctor Who, at least to me. You got a scuba diver guy, and you got brain monster thing. Alright, gameplay. The goal is to shoot all the Morlock enemies. Pretty straightforward. Avoid being shot and protect the four humanoids that eventually appear in each level. If you lose all your people in a level, the lights go out. If you lose all the humanoids in a level, the lights go out. and then In darkness, enemies are more aggressive and an invincible, hulking enemy tirelessly hunt you down until level is complete. Shooting at the Hulk will push him back, but a little. If the brain enemy manages to touch a humanoid, it will be converted into a killer prog. The prog will race through the battlefield after you uh, until you shoot it or it kills you. You need to reload your ammunition every once in a while, uh, and you'll hear an alarm when you have ten bullets left, and you'll see a pack of replacement ammunition appear on the battlefield. Touch it to reload. A destroyed enemy will sometimes leave behind a smart bomb. If you touch it before it disappears, each enemy on the battlefield will be destroyed. Every two levels, you encounter the challenge stage where four waves of enemies race across the screen in different patterns. If you manage to shoot all of the enemies in the challenge stage, you earn an extra life. And that's kind of an interesting way to do it, rather than just relying on getting X number of points. I kind of like that. Time Salvo works with the 2600 and 7800 compatible joysticks. I don't know if I mentioned it in the field report. I don't think I did. I used, um, uh, like all of us, I don't like the 7800 joystick particularly... I have a little bit, I'm not an old guy, but I have a little bit of arthritis, and I find that my hands cramp up really fast when I use the 7800 joystick, so I try not to. So I was using the Genesis joystick uh, with the Ed Laden, uh adapter, um, which I don't think was great. Um, I, I might try something else in the future if I was going to play. Maybe I'd just plug the, uh, you know, the standard 2600 joystick in and try that. That might even be easier. I don't know. If anyone has some suggestions for the ideal controller to use for this game uh, on the 7800, let me know. To shoot while running, push the joystick in the direction you want to move and shoot in and then briefly press the fire button. If you have two joysticks that are suitably anchored, you can switch time salvo into into two stick mode at the title screen. When using this mode, the left joystick moves the player and the right joystick controls the shooting direction. I I don't have, I, I didn't try this, I don't have two joysticks suitably anchored. This to me sounds like a thing that you would do with one of those, um, uh, you know, the the the, uh, the really nice um, controllers, uh, uh, joystick things, uh, arcade style joystick things you can get from uh, Ed Laden. Um I don't have one. Uh, maybe someday I'll get one. But that sounds like uh, something that uh, that would be perfect for something like this. When playing with standard controls, you'll need to master both shooting when standing still and shooting on the run. Both styles are needed to succeed. Both you and the enemies are vulnerable when moving to a new intersection on the battlefield grid. Shoot enemies that enter into the row or column your player is located at. Use caution when moving. Saving the humanoids is a key ingredient to scoring well in time salvo. Defend the area around an emerging humanoid and collect it as soon as possible. Repeat this until you've saved all four humanoids. The little bit that I played this morning, I think the best that I did was three uh, humanoids at a time. Uh, I'm, I have not spent a lot of time with this game, and even after hundred And 71 episodes of Atari Bytes I am you know, Full disclosure here, I'm not great At these games, I was pretty good at them When I was a kid, Uh, I'm not great Now, because I'm old and slow And I I don't get as much Time to spend with each of the games uh, To get actually good at them Uh, So anyway, I only saved uh, At most, and, and well I didn't even save them, I collected three out of the four At my peak And then of course we all died at the beginning of each level, you can sn- uh, snipe enemies as they march on screen to their initial positions without fear of them shooting back. Time, time Salvo supports saving its high score uh, table to either the Atari 7800 HSC cartridge or the Atari Vox Save Key devices. If you have both the HSC and Atari Vox Save Key peripherals, Time Salvo will use the Atari Vox Save Key as a preferred saving device due to its larger save space and portability. Time Salvo also supports the Atari Vox voice function and speaks several phrases throughout the game. Another disclosure of, of my uh, limitations. I have the Atari Vox. I bought it a long time ago, actually. I can't figure out how to make it work. Uh, I know there's something with flipping little switches or something in it, but I couldn't figure it out. So uh, I've put it aside. I've had it for a long time. Uh, I may get it out again someday if I feel like being really frustrated. When I do that, I may reach out on social media to say, uh, I'm looking at this thing, what do I do? Uh, but, uh, unfortunately, I didn't have it. Uh, I had not figured that out in time for playing the game today, because that would have been fun. Sarna, you are hitting all my buttons today. You had a little story at the beginning and a prologue. The boulder sat in the long grass, unmoving and seemingly unremarkable. The wind gently flowed around it, rustling the grass in waves. An elderly Eloy woman approached with several younglings in tow. One of them looked up to her and spoke, Grandmother, why do you come here every cycle? She didn't answer right away. Instead, she polished an inscription in the rock. Even though it had already been clean, she stood back and admired the result. For the time traveller, he saved us all from the dark and he lit the spe- he lit, and he lit the spark to show us the way. She smiled and answered the youngling's question. I come here to say hello to an old friend." As she finished the words, she noticed that the child had already raced off to play with the others. With that, she raised her tiny hands and set some flowers on the boulder, paused for a heartbeat, and then turned back to playfully chase after the group. Oh man, that was awesome. I almost feel bad about, you know, the lame effort that I put forward into the story for story time later. That's something to look forward to. Well. We know that Time Salvo is inspired by The Time Machine. The Time Machine is a science fiction novella by H. G. Wells published in 1895, generally credited with popularizing, according to Wikipedia, the concept of time travel by using a vehicle that allows an operator to travel purposely and selectively forward or backward in time. The term time machine was coined by Wells and is now almost universally used to refer to such a vehicle. It's been adapted into three feature films, and two television versions, and a large number of comic book adaptations. has also indirectly inspired many works of fiction in, other, in many media productions. Prior to The Time Machine, Wells wrote a short story called The, Chronicle Argonauts, or the Chronic Argonauts in 1888, published in his college newspaper, uh, which was the foundation uh, the story was for The Time Machine. The protagonist of The Time Machine is a Victorian English scientist and gentleman inventor living in a Richmond, Surrey, living in Richmond, Surrey, and identified by a narrator simply as the Time Traveler. The narrator recounts the traveler's lecture to his weekly dinner guests that time is simply a fourth dimension and demonstrates a tabletop model machine for traveling through the fourth dimension. He says he built a machine capable capable of carrying a person and returns at dinner the following week to recount a remarkable tale becoming the new narrator. Uh, He goes to test the machine. He, He... at first he doesn't think anything happened, then he realizes he's jumped ahead five hours, keeps going, sees his house disappear, turns into a lush garden, stops in AD 802,701, and meets the Eloi, a society of small, elegant, childlike adults. They live in small communities within large and futuri- futuristic, yet slowly deteriorating buildings, and have a fruit-based diet. He tries to talk to them, but they lack curiosity or discipline. They appear happy and carefree, but fear the dark, and particularly... in particular. Uh, the Moonless Nights, and they don't respond to mysterious nocturnal disappearances, or at least they were traumatized and wouldn't discuss it. He thinks they're a peaceful society. Uh, As he's walking around, then he comes back and discovers his time machine has been moved into some sort of nearby structure, which is sort of like a sphinx, Uh, but fortunately he had removed the uh, levers that operate the machine. Later, he's approached by Morlocks, ape-like troglodytes, who live in the dark underground and only surface at night. Uh, And he starts to uh, develop a theory that the human race evolved into two species. The leisure classes have become the ineffectual Eloi, and the downtrodden working classes have become the brutal light fury Morlocks. Uh, Turns out the Morlocks took his time machine, and they are also taking the Eloi, because the Eloi are effectively their livestock. He saves an Eloi named Weena from drowning, uh, because none of the Eloi take notice that she is drowning. Weena and the time trailer are attacked by Morlocks in the night, Eventually, the time traveler is able to get his machine back, returns to his own time, tells the story of what happened to him. The original narrator takes over the story, comes back to the house the next day, and the time traveler is getting ready to take off on another journey, promises to return home in a short time. But at this point in the narrator's story, it's been three years, and the time traveler has never returned. I've watched the movie. uh, There was a 1960 movie with Rod Taylor as the time traveler. I've watched it, uh, I don't know, a bazillion times it's a movie I really like and it's pretty much the same plot as the book uh, as it's described here I will spoil the ending here for you uh, so if you don't want to hear it jump over the next few seconds um, the time traveler uh, the, the narrator Philby in in the book in the movie they give him a name he's one of the uh, one of the time travelers friends he's named Philby throughout his time travels he sees what happens to Philby too it's kind of a, a poignant uh, story there but Anyway, so Philby says, "Time traveler came back. He told us this amazing story. I wasn't sure whether to believe him or not." All the dinner guests leave because they, frankly, they don't really believe him. Philby's a little worried about his friend. Is he cracking up? And uh, you know, he's like George. They actually call him uh, George Herbert George Wells in the in the movie. Are you gonna? You know, I'll see you tomorrow. Um, we can talk tomorrow. And time traveler's like, "Yeah, sure, whatever." Uh, but clearly, he's getting ready to take off again, and he does. But Philby discovers that he removed three books from his bookshelf and the movie ends with us being left to speculate what three books did he take. And it's kind of a nice little um, uh, thought exercise there. There was another movie adaptation with Guy Pearce as the time traveler in like 2002, which I did see, but I have absolutely no memory of. Uh, I remember it being pretty boring. Honestly, I think I fell asleep watching it. Um, I kind of remember, in the future, the Eloy living in, like, caves, you know, up a, up a cliffside. Um, it's kind of weird. I don't know. I didn't like the movie. 2002, I guess. Guy Pearce, Orlando Jones, Samantha Mumba, Mark Addy, and Jeremy L- Irons. With a cameo by Alan Young, who also appeared in the 1960 film adaptation. I think he played Philby, actually, in the movie. This Wikipedia articles and tell me what the third movie was. It may they may be referring to Time After Time, I think it was called. It was a story where I don't know how what the premise is, but somehow uh, well should I do. It, the, uh, H. G. Wells gets in his time machine to chase Jack the Ripper. Somehow Jack the Ripper also has time travel capability and he travels to the future. So H. G. Wells pursues him and ends up trying to protect this woman. Um who I think might have been Mary Steenburgen. I don't remember. Uh, from Jack the Ripper, uh, you know, in modern day San Francisco, or whatever it was. Um, this would have been, I think, the 80s, maybe, 1980s, sometime. Uh, I remember watching it a bit, uh, a lot as a kid, which is weird. Weird movie for a kid to watch. It may explain a lot about me. I don't know. Those of you who are really into the homebrews probably know uh, on the Atari Age forums, uh, there are all sorts of posts sort of chronicling the development of the game. You all know that probably. Those of you who don't, uh, if you're interested in that, go look at the Atari Age forums. All right. Well, after the break, synchronize your watches. <laughs> watches. Why don't you fire up the eight-track in the dashboard of your horse and buggy while you're at it, you dinosaur? <laughs> watches. Time. What is time? What is this thing we call the clock? What is it but man's effort to tame the planet, to control the night, to say to the sun and to the moon, Yes, you set and you rise when you wish, but we, man alone, will dictate when things happen. We control when it is time to rise, when it is time to sleep, when it is time to eat potato chips and to pet the dog and to mate, if we're so lucky. Yes, it is all man. You, sun and moon and stars, you do not control anything. Oh, wait, it's time for Game of Thrones. I gotta hurry up and do this. I love that little, uh... Have you played Atari today? Alright, so we've got time salvo up on the screen. All I've got in front of me right now is a title screen, and I'm already loving this game so much I'm going to turn it down a little bit. I think it's probably a little loud on the recording. Um, already way more sound than you get in your typical Atari game uh, from the old, the bad old days. Kidding, the great old days. Part of that, of course, being, you know, it's an Atari 7800 game, not the 2600, I suppose. But, uh, even so, uh, we're in for a treat here. Um, wow, there's a lot of music here. Let's, uh, why don't we just get started? Whoa, alright, get ready. I don't know if I can get ready. Alright, my guy is moving. The colors on this screen just pop. You yeah, know, it's a it's a run and shoot game, and really, to some extent, that's all you want from an Atari game. Ooh, and I'm dead. I like when the uh, when you get blown up, you just turn into bones. That's a nice touch. Ooh, smart bomb. Yeah. Mayhem. Whoa. that little brain dude. I like that the robots look pretty much like, uh, berserk robots. That's a nice touch. I don't know if that was intentional or not, but I like it. The brain things make me think... The brain creatures make me think of something out of... Whoa, now I've moved to the next screen. Whoa, what's that guy? Purple and green sort of square dude. Oh man. Um... Ooh, and you can't kill them either. What was I saying? Oh, the, the brain creatures look to me like uh, something out of original Star Trek. Oh, and here's some sort of octopus squid thing. I'm about to die. I think there's too much mayhem. All right, I got two guys left. Die already! Oh man! It occurs to me, I have not—I did not see any humans. Where were the humans? All right, let's try this again for a little bit. I'm not going to enter a high score. I don't have the, uh, the equipment to. I just reached over to reset the game, and I reached uh, tried to reset it on my 2600, which isn't even plugged in right now. Um, ooh, my rank for that score. 500 points. I don't mean to brag. And my rank is Time Corpse. Nice. Appreciate that. Oop. I instantly turned the whole thing off. Alright, we get to hear that again. That's not such a bad thing. Alright. I want some humans. Ooh, smart bomb. Ooh, there's a human. Come here, human. I probably won't save you, but come here. Ooh, there's another human. All right, I got two humans, but I'm about to die. Sorry, humans. Yeah. There's smart bombs all over this place. When I was practicing earlier, I didn't see that many. Another human. Dang. Compared to how I've been playing this morning, I'm doing really well. Which means it's about to end horribly. Oh. Yep, there we go. Sorry, humans. I looked away to check the, uh, the battery on the computer and died. The battery didn't, though, so that's good. Alright. Well, I had a lot of fun with that, but I can't sit here all day playing Time Salvo, sadly. So, reluctantly, back to you in the studio. Hey everyone, this is Michael, one of the hosts of the Atari XEGS Cart by Cart Podcast. Do you like Atari? Of course you do. What about the 8-bit computer line? It was one of the best. Well, how about you consider joining Bill, David, Kieran, and myself as we review the cartridge-based games for Atari's 8-bit computer line. We also review budget games, which are mostly released only in the UK. But that's not all. We also dig up game history, share personal experiences, and perform questionable comedy. You'll get all of that, and for free, just by listening to us on either iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Player FM, or from our website at xegs8bit.com. That's x-e-g-s, the number 8, bit.com. And when you're done listening, please send us your hate mail, because we really need the feedback so we know someone is tuning in. So here's the thing about Time Salvo. I really, 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 really like this game. You really don't even have to read the manual. Um... You could just pick it up and play it. It's uh, the quintessential Atari-style game. The colors pop. The, the enemies look cool. There's all sorts of different ones to look at. I like the callback, intentional or not, uh, that some of the robots look like the Berserk robots. Um, I like the brain monster thing. Um, I, I just like everything about this game. The, the grid-style movement gets a little frustrating, but I, I don't say that as a knock on the game. Uh, It just, as you're playing it, it's a little frustrating. I don't love the title. I think when I was sort of researching the game, I saw somebody else comment on that too. Maybe that was one of the things in the Atari Age forums. I don't love the title either. Time travel isn't really a part of the game. Um, You're not not getting yourself from Victorian England to 800,000, 802,000 AD. You're already there, and you're just fighting monsters, and you don't go back at the end of the game, so... I would have probably just left time out of it. Frankly, you don't really even need the connection to the time machine.
1: Um,
0: I think it's cool because I like the time machine, but you could call them Eloy. You wouldn't have to call them Eloy and and Morlocks and Weena. You could call them anything and still be a really cool game. So, yeah, I I don't love the title. Uh, I would be curious. Maybe it's in the forum somewhere. I would be curious to know how the title was derived specifically because I get they couldn't call it the time machine, But why time salvo? I'm curious about that. Maybe if I did a little more research, I would know. But again, no, that's a knock on the game. Uh, Just observations. Um, I really like it. Honestly, it's the first homebrew, and so far the only homebrew that I have. I have a list of other ones that I want, but, you know, money and time and all that. So I'm thrilled that this was the first one that I got. It makes me really excited to see what else is out there. So well done. It's story time on Atari Bites. Yes, it's story, 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 story time with Bill. This week's story is titled, Weena, Warrior Princess. Weena sat in the Morlock cave, again, and she was sleepy. Her lumpy, shuffling, glowing-eyed captor had been morlock explaining. How society works for the past half hour. As the Morlock launched into a tirade about the complexities of the Morlock chain of command, which a simple Eloy could never be expected to understand, Weena wondered if throwing herself off the top of the weird Sphinx monument thing they built might not be such a bad idea. What was that thing for, anyway? Weena considered pointing out to the Morlock uh, the misstatement that when he identified Kurgle, as the ruler who in the Third Age ushered in the era of Eloy subjugation, not Lanagan, as one of the few remaining books in that dusty old room they called the a library, stated. But she just didn't feel like it. Weena had played the part of Docile Sheep for so long, it was a little disturbing how easy it came to her. It was like putting on a pair of pants that fit, but reminded you of the fact that you were cattle, even if the color was quite flattering. Similes, Weena realized, were not an Eloy strong suit. As the Morlock droned on, Weena wondered what the time traveler was doing. He was way nicer than a Morlock and so different. No, not completely different. He wasn't as hairy as the Morlock, but she could see similarities. Where the Morlock thought she needed to be eaten, the time traveler thought she needed to be saved. And they both primarily spoke to her in speeches and instructions, even if the Morlock's speeches were more on the grunting side of things. At the moment, Weena could hear a ruckus in the catacombs. The Morlocks were riled up, running and screeching. A bunch of them headed out to see what was happening, but Weena already knew. "'Oh boy,' she said, eyes rolling. "'I'm about to be saved!' Weena heard a lot of running and shooting. It seemed to Weena that whatever time in history the Traveler came from, he was really good at such things. She wondered if she really should have wasted all those pretty flowers she stuck in the Traveler's pockets. When the Morlocks returned, eyes glowing with panic, he grunted another one, and they both waved to still more Mor- Morlocks to follow, each one larger and smellier than the last. The Traveler surely had his hands full. Pretentious though he could be, Weena really did like him, and it was flattering how hard he was working to impress her. His weird time machine levers and ancient books were, weren't going to stop him getting his tweed-covered backside handed to him. The Traveler might take down a few smelly Morlock, but he didn't stand a chance of winning the fight. But maybe there was something Weena could do. While the Morlocks were huddled in a corner considering, uh, conferring about which one would be next to face the Traveler, except Barney, who really just wanted to gossip about Reginald, Weena slowly stood and quickly slipped out of her simple peasant garb. Underneath, she wore only... Well, actually, she had on a full ninja outfit. But don't ask where she was hiding the quarterstaff. The Morlocks, well, they're powerful and aggressive, but with all that lumpy furriness, they aren't the most agile, and those glowing eyes offer terrible peripheral vision. Weena pounded three of them into submission before the Morlocks knew what hit them. "'What is this?' one of the Morlocks cried. "'I'm your worst nightmare,' Weena said. A girl with a big stick. Weena smacked another Morlock upside the head. "'Can you handle it?' Some of the wimpier Morlocks fled into the catacombs. That was all right. The time traveler could handle those.' Weena focused on the stronger ones, hoping to take some of the pressure off the traveller. Dodge, thrust, parry, flack. On and on, Weena laid waste to the elite Morlock guard, Banshee screaming the whole time. As she dented the last one's head but good, the time traveller burst into the room, sweaty and with bow tie all akimbo. Weena quickly kicked the staff to the side. "Weena, darling, he said, I've come to save you. He glanced around the room. Ah, I see some of my victims fled here to lick their wounds. Jolly good. I hope they didn't harass you too awfully. Weena assumed the demure pose expected of the Eloy. Like a child, she held out a pretty flower to the Traveler, though who the hell knows where she got it. The Traveler smiled and stepped forward to accept the gift. Over the Traveler's right shoulder, Weena saw a Morlock rise up, preparing to bash in the Traveler's head with a rock. As the Traveler closed his eyes and inhaled the flower scent, Weena snatched up the staff and thrust it into the Morlock's chest, skewering him and shoving the dead beast to the side. A noxious odor erupted from the gaping wound. The confused traveler wrinkled his nose. "My dear," the flora here yields many surprises," Weena giggled in stereotypical eloy, shaking her head in faux confusion. The traveler laughed. "Oh, Weena," he said, "so innocent." The traveler and Weena embraced. Over the traveller's shoulder, Weena made the "I'm watching you" gesture at a panicked Morlock who quickly shuffled out the, out of the room. "I must go back to my own time soon," the traveler said sadly. Just for a little while, but still, how will you manage? Weena shrugged. Oh, I suppose I'll get by. (coughs) And that's our show. Thanks to Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com for Creative Commons' use of his songs, Reformat, Take a Chance, and Pinball Spring. Thanks to Mike Mann for the Mad Mike Hughes theme. Thanks to Sean Courtney for the Storytime theme. You can find Atari Bytes on many podcatchers. Tell your friends. But whatever you do, make sure you make time to travel over to iTunes and salvage, which kind of sounds like salvo, a review of this episode. Travellers from the future who make pit stops here need to know about this show. Travellers from the past will just be confused by the iTunes thing anyway. To hell with them. (laughs) Sorry, people from the past. I didn't mean it. Email the show at ataribytes2016 at gmail.com. Like the show on our Facebook page, follow the show on Twitter at Bytes, or follow me personally at Carnival of Glee. Also, look us up on Instagram. Now you can call also and leave a voicemail for me at 563-265-1978. Talk, tell us about any damn thing you want. Please consider supporting the show financially by making a, a donation on the Atari Bytes Patreon page, or by picking up shirts and mugs in the ab-pod-store on zazzle.com, Uh, New items coming soon when I think of some. If you have suggestions for what you would like to see in there, let me know. If you also have suggestions for little Patreon bonus things that would entice you to donate, I am interested in those ideas too. Hey, do you love Snoopy, the little uh, uh, mischievous beagle from the Peanuts comic strip? Or Charlie Brown, or Snoopy, or Woodstock? Uh, Man, I love me some Woodstock. You know you do, and I'll bet... You have friends and family who do. Well, all you guys should be checking out my other podcast. It's a podcast, Charlie Brown. You're one stop for all things in and around the Peanuts universe. New episodes of that show drop on the 15th of every month. Go check that out. Thank you. Oh, yeah, I wrote a book, too. I've hardly ever mentioned it. Um, it's called Misery Banana, very short stories inspired by old games and odd thoughts. Uh, it's a collection of a bunch of the stories from this podcast. So if you can't stand my voice, but you like the stories, you can get them in book form. Uh, Pretty much anywhere you like to order books So please do that Don't forget to leave a review uh, At that place that you bought the book To help other people, you know, check it out Algorithms and whatnot Next time on Atari Bytes Bugs What's up, No, no, not that bugs Like the little insect type bugs Uh, That's what we're doing next week So uh, get your creepy crawly on And join us So until next time, go play some old games. They've missed you.